Father, thank you again for this Christmas season. It's a time and opportunity for us to remember again your gracious gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come. And you've told us in your word that no one takes your life from you, but you lay it down on your own accord. You have the authority to lay it down and you have the authority to take it back up. We thank you that you came to save your people from their sins. And we, your people, want that great salvation from our sins, from, Father, your justice that's due our sin, from your anger that our sins incur. We need forgiveness. We need saved. Pray that tonight would be a, another means to that end of salvation for some, of worship for others, and of growth and transformation for all of us, I pray. Help us as we engage you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now in your word. Holy Spirit, help us. We need you. Help us to pay attention. Give us the gift of grace now in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. All right, we're going to be very quickly in John chapter 1, 1 through 5. John chapter 1, 1 through 5. John was one of Jesus' best friends on earth. So if you can imagine being one of the best friends of the creator and sustainer of the universe, this is what the apostle John, or as some traditions would call him, Saint John, was. He was one of Jesus' best friends on earth. He wrote the gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And in John chapter 1, what we have is a, an encounter with Jesus before he became a baby. And I think for us to appreciate Jesus become man as a baby, we need to see clearly who he was prior to becoming man as a baby. And that's what I want to do with you very quickly. Now, before we jump in, we would not know of Jesus or celebrate Christmas, or know to celebrate Christmas, Christmas, had God not chose to reveal himself to us, where? In his word. Without God's word, we have nothing solid of what happened historically, of what happened in time and space, of what that event of Jesus coming means for us. But what we have is revelation from God. It's called the Bible. It's God's self-revelation. It's to his creation that we might know him and love him as God revealed in his word. This is a great gift, God's word. And I would encourage you who do not have a Bible, we have Bibles to give away in the back. Please make sure you leave with a Bible. It is very crucial that you own one, that you read it, and that you get to know the God who not only wrote the Bible, but the God whom the Bible reveals, more specifically, Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, the, the, the New Testament starts out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in this fourth Gospel of John, Jesus is very clearly displayed before all who read, not only as God, but as Savior. And so let's begin by looking at Jesus as the Word of God, in the Gospel of John. And John starts out, in the beginning was this Word, this Word of God. So John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of 
all things. Before anything was, God was. And before anything came into being was this word. Now this word, see the capital W there, it's not just a word, it's a specific word. That word in Greek is logos, and it means uh, in Greek, to the Greeks, the organizing principle behind the universe. It was the reason and logic behind the creative order. Okay, that, that's what it meant to the Greeks. To the Jewish reader, whom John was Jewish, it would have been the power by which God created all things. In fact, we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. How did God create the heavens and the earth? With his word. By speaking, let there be lights. Let there be. Let there be. And by his word... Power was released to create real matter, real physical creation. But this word here is not just the word of God spoken in waves of sound. This word is personified as a person. This word is Jesus. And this word was with God. So this word here was with God the Father. And this word was himself God, yet distinct from the Father. So here we see that Jesus is God, and he's separate from God the Father, yet he's with God the Father when? In the very beginning, before anything was. Now in the next verse, 2, he, this word, was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, through this word. And, and without him, without this word, was not anything made that was made. Now, what we're seeing here is that this word of God was the agent of creation. So anything that came into being, from the largest fish in the ocean to the largest bird that flies the sky to the most attractive human being that you can think of roaming the earth right now, came from and through this word. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the creator. And we see this clearly in Psalm 33. I want to show you this real quickly. Psalm 33, 6 to 9. Remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning. By the Word of the Lord, Lord being God, the heavens were made. So by this Word of God, the heavens, the universe, the stars, the galaxies, our solar system was made, and by the breath of his mouth, word, as you speak, breath comes out of your mouth, by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, that means the stars, billions upon billions upon billions of stars, beyond counting. You know that NASA estimates billions of galaxies, each themselves containing billions of stars, and this verse simply says that this word spoke by the breath of his mouth and all of this came into being. Verse 7, he, this word, God gathers the waters of the sea in a heap. A heap is a pile. So literally imagine taking all the waters of the oceans and just gathering them into one heap. And he puts the deeps in storehouses, meaning that God himself knew where to store the depths of the ocean, the deepest crevices of the ocean where who knows what lives 
in the depths, but God stores the waters there. Let all the earth fear the Lord for his greatness, for his majesty, for his might. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now, the inhabitants of the earth has to be pointing to rational creatures like men and angels. Because I don't think cows are in the field standing in awe of him. I don't think my dogs wake up in the morning thankful and stand in awe of him as they go out onto the deck and, and stare at the starry sky. But we do that. We get to go out on clear nights and look at the host of the heavens and be in awe and feel small in a good and beneficial way. This is good. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, of this word of God. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This is beautiful. And like Psalm 33, we can read in Acts 17, 28, for in him, this is Jesus, we live and move and have our being. In this word of God, we, the inhabitants of the earth, we have life, we have movement, we can move around, and all living things move and grow, and we have being, existence itself in this word. Without Jesus, no life. Without Jesus, no existence. Without Jesus, no being. In him, this word, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what this means is Jesus himself has life in himself, Meaning, he is not dependent on anyone else or anything else to give him existence, life, being. You and I, as creatures, are 100% dependent on an outside source for life, movement, and being. We cannot exist without a source of life. Yet this text, John 1.4, is saying that in him, in this word, was existence itself. Without anyone keeping him existing. Okay? And the life was the light of men. And what this could mean is a lot, but here's a few things that it does mean. What this means is that this life is what gives us life. So life is a beautiful thing. We all want life and we don't want death. We all mourn when death comes into our experience and we would rather life be in the picture. We don't like it when less consequential things than human beings die. We don't like it when our car dies right? We don't like it when our pets die. We don't like it when our plants die. If any of you are plant people, come on, I know there's some plant people in the house. All right, yeah, and when they die, you're like, no, I killed another one, okay? That's my experience, every plant that I get. In him was life, and this life is the light of men. Now, this light that's the life of men means this. Not only does he give all men life, but he comes into the world, and he begins to spread light into existence. He comes and reveals God to us. Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus not only came to show life and light, but he came to give light and life. He came to give not only light as in the understanding of who God is and 
how God has made the world to be and how to live in God's world, but rather he came to give life and life eternal, life more abundant, as we learn later in the Gospel of John. Now, we learn in Colossians 1, 12 to 14, that the Father, who, and this is breaking into a prayer here, so we're, we're, we're just rudely breaking into a prayer of Paul here. He says, the Father, God the Father, who has qualified you, Colossian believers, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, this, this points to this. We who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's what Vince just spoke about to the kids. We are the ones walking in darkness. We are the ones walking in Satan's dominion. We all lived among them at one time, those in the darkness, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We were, like the rest, like all mankind, objects of God's wrath. Because we live in the darkness, we love the darkness, and and John tells us later in John 3 that we will not come into the light for fear our deeds will be exposed. We don't want to have a spotlight shining on us in our darkness because our darkness will be exposed and we don't want to be shamed, we don't want to be caught, we don't want to be found out. We don't want to look at anyone else in our shame and we especially don't want to look at God in our shame. And so rather than be exposed, we run from the light. But see, this word came to give light, and he is the light of men. And when we come into this light, we're not afraid anymore. Because our deeds are exposed, but they're exposed and they're done away with by this light. This light is so powerful that it swallows up our darkness. This is the beauty of Christmas. This is the beauty of the cross. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, look, he has delivered us, delivered us from the domain of darkness. We are all born into this domain of darkness. It's the kingdom of Satan. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, God came on a mission, not just to give light, not just to be light, but rather to give redemption, to give forgiveness of sins. He came that we might have our sins forgiven. When Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, who was not his biological father, was thinking about divorcing Mary, his wife, because she is now pregnant and he knew he was not the father, he imagined himself putting her away quietly so that she would not be publicly shamed. He loved her enough to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this quietly. I'm not gonna put you to public shame. I'm not gonna have you stoned, which is a, po- a possibility under the law of Moses. Rather, I'm gonna quietly put you away. And as he's pondering these things and obviously stressing, he has a dream. And I think Gabriel, the angel, comes to him in that dream and says, this baby is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. And you will call his name what? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is why Jesus came. Jesus did not come just to be light, to give light to reality. He did not come to just share light and reveal God, but rather he came to save his people, Christians, those who fall on him for mercy and grace. He came to save them from their sins, to redeem them, to Offer them forgiveness so that we might not be condemned. Later in Colossians, actually the next verse, he, this Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And so how, do we, how can we see God the Father who is invisible? Well, we can look at Jesus 
because he is the image, the icon of the invisible God. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He didn't say, I am the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. We're united. We are God. We are the Trinity. We are the same in essence. We are the same in purpose. We are the same in substance. We are God. The firstborn of all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean that Jesus was the first created in all creation. Rather, this image of firstborn is the first inheritor. The firstborn inherited all of the Father's possessions in the ancient world. And this Jesus would inherit all things that the Father created through the Word. Jesus is the inheritor of all things. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, this Jesus, all things were created. Same thing John just said in John 1. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now, the invisible is about to be made known here. Invisible is thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. These are all names for angelic beings that are invisible but are real and that are evil and that some are good. Okay, we have a whole invisible realm of beings that exist with us mingling with human beings yet invisible and we can't tell their effects. We don't know when they're at work and when they're not, but we can sometimes feel their presence. Sometimes. I know you felt it. But Jesus is the creator of these invisible realities, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In the beginning was the word. And in him, this Jesus, all things hold together. Meaning that literally, Jesus, by his word, by his power, is keeping all things together. So that all the atoms don't just fall into puddles. So that we don't just explode at our molecular level. Rather, Jesus is keeping all the protons, all the electrons, and all the neutrons in perfect order. And all spinning with massive amounts of energy in every piece of matter that you see. Where is the power to keep all of the, the electrons moving at rapid speed in every living thing? In every piece of matter? Well, it's God. It's Jesus. It's the Word. It's His power. Back to John 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, this darkness here is the darkness of sin. It's the brokenness of our world. It's in you, and it's in me. And you know it. You feel it. When you do something wrong, and someone calls you out, you get this this jolt of negativity that comes into your being. You felt it. And you know what it's like to hurt another individual and have them upset at you. You know what it's like to say things you wish you could take back. You know what it's like to watch the news and just feel the, the depressive nature of reality just weighing on you like a backpack of cinder blocks. You know what I'm talking about. You see and read about things happening in other countries than the United States of, of, of genocide and of, of authorities just killing people in masses. And, and we think, how can this be? Well, the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, what happened when Jesus came into the world, he met the darkness face to face, not only in a spiritual way, like he faced the demonic powers and Satan himself 
in ways that these demonic powers cowered at the sight of him. One place in in the book of Mark, I believe it's chapter 5, a man with 2,000 plus demons come up to Jesus. There's two men actually. and, And they approach him and they say, what do you have to do with us? Jesus, son of the most high. And, and they beg, please don't send us to the abyss. They know who he is. They know what kind of authority he has. They say, rather send us into the pigs. And there's a, a field of pigs, 2,000 of them, on a, on a hillside. And they say, don't send us to the abyss, please. Send us into the pigs. And he says, go. And, and immediately, all these demons rush out of these two men, and they land in the pigs, and the, the whole herd goes off into the, into the sea and drown. And every time Jesus encounters an evil spirit in the Gospels, they cower at his feet and beg for mercy. And they must obey him. But not only does he encounter spiritual darkness, but he encounters our spiritual darkness. One, one, one such time, uh, Jesus is performing all these miracles. And there's a house so full of people listening to him teach that a paralytic is literally dropped down from the roof. In those days, they had roofs that you could tear apart with mud and straw. And and a man was lowered through the roof. He couldn't move. He's laying on a mat. Four friends by four corners of a mat lower him down. And Jesus and all those looking upon him in the room say, what is happening right now? Jesus looks at the man and says some astounding words for a mere man to say. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven? And, and those who were religious leaders who knew their Bible, watching and listening, said to themselves in their own heads, who does this man think he is? Only God alone can forgive sins. And he, having insight into their thoughts, said, hey, so that you know, that the Son of Man, his favorite title for himself, taken from Daniel chapter 7, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. And the man stands up, he rolls up his mat, and he rolls out in front of everybody, and they're just blown away amazed. You see, he faces the darkness of sin, and he says to it, forgiven, 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 forgiven. And there's only one way that he can face the darkness like that and not crush it, but rather extinguish it and forgive it. How? He would be crushed in our place, friends. He would save his people from their sins by taking the darkness into himself and it crushing him on the cross. This is the good news. This is why Jesus came. The light was snuffed out by the darkness on the cross, and yet all the while it was the Father accomplishing his good pleasure by taking out what you and I justly deserve, the penalty for our sins, and him laying it on Jesus on the cross. Jesus willingly receives the wrath of God to pay for the sins of all those who would ever trust in him. And for you tonight, you can trust in Jesus. This baby in a manger was born to save his people from their sins. He was born to save anyone who would throw themselves upon him for mercy and grace. And the forgiveness will be yours really from God. And if God is for us, finish it, who can be against us? You see, though the whole world condemn you, if God doesn't condemn you, you are in the good. Though the whole world come against me, if God is for me, come against me. You can say that in Christ. 
You have the most powerful being in the universe, the one sustaining the universe, standing behind you, standing in front of you, standing on the side of you, and you can say in that position, who can come against me? And you realize if they do the worst thing to you, kill you, you immediately go into the presence of God, joy, glory, and light forever, instantaneously. No more condemnation, no more wrestling with the darkness. And you see, the darkness did not overcome it, the light, whom Jesus was, because though the darkness did seem like it won, he rose in glorious triumph. The third day, he was alive. And so he defeated death, he defeated the darkness by absorbing it, by taking it upon himself, by swallowing it whole and spitting it back out. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, the victor. And it's our victory, friends. It's our victory. He did it for us. He's the substitute. He won in our behalf. We don't have to fight. He fought for us. All we do is surrender. We simply receive the gift of heaven. That's it. It's all you have to do. That's all I have to do. We throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, ask for forgiveness, and we have full and free forgiveness. Now, if we jump to verse 14, this is Christmas. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, before we leave this and wrap this up, you need to know that this word, this logos, became flesh. This is the birth of Jesus. This is Christmas. That word dwelt there in the Greek, means tabernacled. Just like John was pointing back to Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. Well, here he's pointing back to the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness days when the tabernacle was constructed. The tabernacle was the tent where God would be worshiped, where God's presence would be really localized. And this verse, John is telling us that this word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. The glory of God descends on the tabernacle and the glory of God leads the children of Israel through the wilderness, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And look, look what John says. And we have seen his glory, just like the pillar of cloud, just like the fire by night. We have seen the glory of the tabernacle, but it was in a person. It was in Jesus. Glory as of the only son. He's the only one that has this kind of glory capital S son, from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. So this Jesus was not only full of truth, he did not come on a truth mission, he came on a grace mission and a truth mission. He came on a salvation mission, not on a condemnation mission. So yes, he came with the light to give us truth. He came with the light to reveal ultimate reality to us, but he also came to extinguish the darkness, our darkness, and now we are light, friends. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden because we have the light of life in us, Christians, who have the third person of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's think just a few more thoughts and then we're done. All of God's glory here, all of it, the, the fullness of deity and bodily form wrapped in a human body but rather a baby body. 
I have a baby in the house, so I'm, I'm very familiar experientially with babies right now. Babies can do nothing for themselves except cry and let you know something's wrong. And then you got to interpret the cries. Because you're like, all right, it's been a couple hours since you've eaten. It's probably a bottle. Get the bottle up. No, it must be something else. And, you, and so you, you've kind of figured out there's only a no, certain amount of things that would make you cry, and you've you got to figure it out. But a baby is not able to do anything for themselves. Like, without somebody constantly paying attention to all of their needs, from clothing to changing their diapers to feeding them, what would happen to a baby? God humbled himself to that degree. He was 100% dependent on his own creation to keep him alive. You realize that? What humility to entrust his being, the one who created life, and in him was life and light, he entrusts his well-being to a teenage mother and to a human carpenter or stonemason, a craftsman. I mean, you think they could have dropped the ball? Probably. But yet God entrusts himself fully to ones who were finite and, and failable. They were, they were not uh, perfect, but yet here is God, here is Jesus. Think of the humility and lowliness of God to do it the way he did it. Think of this. Born to a teenage virgin mother, mother into a poor family. Born in a place where animals were kept to feed, to go to the bathroom, and to sleep in the evening. Think about this. He was not born in a sterile room in a hospital. There were no doctors. There were no nurses to help with the delivery. There were no epidurals. There was no postnatal care. There was not even, as far as we could tell, clean linens to put the baby in. Like the umbilical cord's cut, and he is put into this nasty feeding trough with, as Vince so graphically showed us, animals spit and slobber all over the place. Or as my friend Tim Brendel said in his song, The Humility of Christ, he was born in a feeding trough with bleeding cows and feces pals. The scene was foul. I mean, seriously, think about it. The Son of God was born next to camels and donkeys. It's crazy. He lived his life as a normal Jewish lower-class craftsman. And from the outside looking in, you would not have thought anything other than this is a high-quality Jewish craftsman. Isaiah tells us that he had no attractiveness to him that we would be drawn to him. In fact, when he opened up the scroll of Isaiah upon his preaching the first time uh, uh, full of the Holy Spirit on mission, he read the prophecy about himself, he put the scroll away, and he said, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And in Luke 4.22, those in his hometown who heard him said, say this said to themselves, is this not Joseph's son? What does that mean? Wait a minute, who does he think he is? This is Joseph's son. We, we have known him since he was a little kid. We bought furniture off him. He helped fix my wall. I've, I, I helped watch him when he was a baby. And now he's saying this messianic prophecy is fulfilled in our hearings and he's the Messiah. Who does he think he is? Which has to prove that Jesus was not doing all kind of miracles before he started his ministry. You know that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him? Like, like, you think if Jesus was doing crazy miracles, like, growing up, like, like healing all the animals, all the roadkill, like, going on, you know, possum, raccoon, you know, 
dead dog named Fluffy. Just arise. You know. but don't you think the brothers would have been like, something is up with this guy. He is more than a mere brother. Rather, when he is doing miracles and he is preaching, they mock him and they say, why don't you go up to Judea? No one seeking to be known by all stays back in this, in this no man's land of Nazareth, Galilee. Show yourself to the world. And then John tells us that not even his brothers believed in him. That says something, doesn't it? Jesus is teaching, and, and his mother and his sisters and his brothers show up to where he's teaching, and there's the crowds, and they say, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. They want to they take you in. They want to help you with your messianic complex. And he says, these are, these are my mother and my brothers. And he pointed to his disciples. You see, Jesus was so humble and so unassuming that not even his closest family realized who he was. You realize that? Until he starts walking on water and talking to waves and wind and, and they obey him and talking about forgiving sin and saying, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He's saying crazy things. The humility of God. He lived his life as a normal Jewish lower class craftsman until his baptism when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then for three years, he went around wrecking, wrecking Palestine, wrecking Judea, wrecking Nazareth. And his resurrection literally wrecked existence from there on out. And churches are scattered all over the world to worship this one born in the manger. All over the world, this, these next couple days, people are worshiping this God that we're worshiping. Realize that. Literally changed the world 2,000 years ago. We're still singing songs of him and writing songs about him. Spending massive amounts of money to put on uh, uh, gatherings that are an honor and, and for his glory. I mean, this is incredible. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. The high priest in the Old Testament was the highest of the priests, but he was the one who would go in to the Holy of Holies and he would make atonement for the sins of the people, but once a year. Only once a year was one allowed into the most holy place, the inner part of the sanctuary, and, and to, on the, on the day of atonement, make atonement for the people. And we have a faithful high priest, Jesus, who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because... In every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. So Jesus knows sexual temptation. Jesus knows bodily pain. Jesus knows what it's like to get ripped off in business. Jesus knows what it's like to have people betray him. Jesus knows what it's like to have people stab him in the back. And on and on and on it goes. He is a faithful high priest, and he's able to sympathize with you and I in our mess, though he was without sin. Where we give in, he did not. Let's close with this verse and we'll take communion. Matthew 1, 20 to 21. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.